Hello and welcome to Unframed, conversations about the arts on CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon and streaming live around the world at cfcr.ca. I'm your host, Michael Peterson. With me today are Kent Archer and Leah Taylor of the College and Kenderdine Galleries on the U.S. campus. Thank you both for joining me. Hi, thank Good you. Good to be here. You're exhibiting Revisit, interpreting the collection across the three gallery spaces, and I'd just like to start by reading briefly from your curatorial statement. Revisit Interpreting the Collection creates new dialogues between works by examining their underpinnings within historical and contemporary concepts, addressing specific ideologies such as utopias, automatism, figuration, the everyday, and suprematism. As I say, thanks for coming on, and maybe we could just start by sort of talking about where the idea for this exhibition came from and how it developed. I guess the impetus for the exhibition was around anniversaries for the galleries, the two respective galleries, Kenderdine and College Art Galleries. The Kenderdine Art Galleries are 25 years old this year, and the College Art Galleries are 10 years old. So that was the original concept, as loose and vague as that is, that, that was a starting point. And as I was understanding and talking with you, it sort of developed from an idea of the anniversary of the galleries to talking about the collection itself and how a focus could be placed there. Yeah, I think in terms of looking at the galleries as having an anniversary versus the collection, we decided to use the collection to animate the spaces, but um, part of the revisiting or interpreting was the fact that we also included in the galleries a reading room, which is a way to allow the audiences to disseminate the work in their own way, at their own speed. And we also included two films from the National Film Board, and archival materials are sprinkled throughout the exhibitions as well. So uh, we tried to give multiple access points to the shows and sort of rethinking the way people participate or engage with works in a museum context. So that's part of the revisiting. And then revisiting is also acknowledging the fact that we're looking at the collection in a new light. And when you're talking about that sort of different way that you can approach the exhibition, those films in the reading room really encourage a longer visit. And even just the sheer volume of works and the span of the space I found that when I was there, you really could spend a good amount of time with this. Yeah, I think, I think those multiple entry points do serve to allow for a lot of peripheral information. I mean, we've got in the reading room and, and with the film itself, or films, I guess, there are information that's not as direct as viewing a work of art. So you, if you're interested in a piece or a movement or a, a genre, you can go into our reading room and, and delve a little deeper or, or look at some tangential sort of information. So it's, I think it's a, an expanded sort of possibility at looking at a, a conventional sort of art exhibition. Not that it's new, it's, it's been done for years and years, but uh, it's something that we've never done before, with, especially in the context of looking at the collection. Well, and then in terms of the curation of the show itself, as opposed to a show that was more sequential, this is really based around a certain number of concepts and themes. And mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting how it starts to think about how the works dialogue in that way. Yeah, I think it's uh, that's part of interpreting. I think we create new dialogues between the works that, you know, at times the works are seemingly disparate, and especially in the area called figuration, there's a huge number of artists being exhibited and there's really unique relationships that came into play when we started to look at okay well who's using the figure in the collection and how is that being used because the figure isn't just being used as say you know a portrayal of a person there's also animals um, 
there's sort of social political dialogue, there's sexual references. So there's many ways of looking at what artists are using in terms of um, the figure throughout history, which is what our collection represents as well. And it starts to move as well across time, as far as I could see, so that you're starting to separate across different movements or across different periods, but looking at how the figure, for example, was treated in those, but also by different groups, because the figuration exhibits one of those that also combines work that are done by more academic artists with Indigenous artists, both inside and outside the academies. I guess I would, I would wonder if you could talk a bit about sort of the, the way those works sort of talk to each other or how they're sort of left in that space. That's one of the things that, I mean, probably Lee and I probably spent more time working on that element than mm-hmm. any other. Not because it's there's greater representation within the collection, but all of those pieces are politicized differently, mm-hmm. as you said, mm-hmm. through different time, you know, periods. But all, even in the even within a, a contemporary context, there are so many different politics involved in those. And again, as as Leah said, they're not straight readings of they're not re- just straight representations or or portraiture or or they're not without an angle I guess Mm -hmm. you know or or with some sort of statement that accompanies the work they're allowed to exist within their political contexts and yeah and I think I think they very much push and pull Mm -hmm. against each other and 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 those that's how those conversations are made I think and and as disparate as a lot of those pieces seem they have this thread of figuration that Mm-hmm. kind of holds them together but that's sort of uh, the only glue that they have that they, mm-hmm. they are all talking uh, and dealing with with really different uh, diverse sort of uh, politics sure and to give a few examples um, we have Laurie Blondeau um, a local Saskatoon artist we have Lisa Streifler Louise Noguchi Tony Sherman those are some of the artists you'll find in that area um, of figuration which is in the main level college gallery And the other thing I was thinking about as you guys were talking um, in terms of how we had to deal with both the work aesthetically, conceptually, all of these different ways of dealing with it, um, I think one of the successes of the exhibition is that we, we looked at things such as concept over things such as, is this an Inuit artist? Is this an artist from Quebec? So we tried to privilege the concepts and theories behind the work over the artist's background, whether it's, you know, their background in history or their cultural background. But it also, to an extent, doesn't impose on them a certain viewpoint, as far as I can see, in as much as you're not talking about an Indigenous show. It's a, mm-hmm. a show of figurative works made by different artists, or not artists with a specific necessary viewpoint. There's many different, as you say. Yeah, and I think, like, there are other areas in the exhibition, for example, like, just to move to a different area. Uh, if we look at automatism, we have a huge representation of the automatiste painters. Um, and so we that is one of the areas where we have a film that's also in conjunction with that area. And that's from the National Film Board of Canada that we borrowed this film to show. And it actually is following the automatiste painters around in their studio, in the cafes, when they were kind of at the prime of their their careers, I guess. I don't know. I shouldn't say it was of their careers. Maybe the prime of when they were discovering autonomism. So yeah, it was kind of the height of the movement. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So I think like that is a lot more specific and there's a little less room for interpretation. However, it's a really important history. And the fact that we have all these key pieces in our collection 
um, it's an exciting thing to highlight, especially when we think about university students on campus and the fact that we're in an academic atmosphere, how to, how to allow access to the, these histories. So there is automatism, but there is also the suprematism exhibition. As you say, do you have more of a narrow focus, and it's interesting to see how you've sort of chosen a couple of those focuses and then had these broader sort of conceptual subjects. And I wonder if you could talk a bit about sort of the process of narrowing to those concepts or how those came about. We have so many contemporary pieces in the collection, and so so many contemporary artists are hard to define their practice within one really tight genre. So when we look more at historical works like the suprematism, for example, and the influence from Kazimir Malevich, that was a little easier to, say, find specific pieces that were dealing with that. However, when we have a huge contemporary representation, sometimes the only thing to draw the artists together is to look at these larger, con broader concepts or looser concepts, like the everyday. Right, so uh, yeah, I would agree completely, that the, especially uh, the suprematism and automatism, where they're pretty tight little categories, I think, mm -hmm. and, and remain well-defined, whereas utopias, I mean, essentially you could include almost anything in there and find a way to justify it. Uh, same is true of the everyday, and figuration is we, we just got a lot of work, as mm -hmm. probably do most collections. So they did allow for a little more subjective, I think, mm -hmm. uh, conversation and, and allowed us to kind of look at the important representations within the collection that would have a conversation with each other. I also think that these areas are important contemporary art movements that, again, I think bringing it to an academic atmosphere is allowing our audience to understand, like if they've never heard the term the everyday used within contemporary art, it's allowing them to make that connection to these works. Well, and I think it's interesting too, because on that academic level, you're often studying works within those frameworks, but rarely have I seen a collection exhibited in that way. So it's, it's interesting to have that crossover there. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's a, it's a great opportunity for students and faculty for that matter, and the public in general to step outside of a textbook or mm -hmm. from viewing slides and, and walk into a room and have that illustrated in some small way. I mean, we have, we have space limitations and we have limitations, of course, with our collection, but uh, I think it does allow a glimpse into those, those worlds. It's a, a much more experiential kind of possibility. In the everyday, uh, we are actually exhibiting a Robert Rauschenberg that's never been shown. So it's been in our collection, do you know how many years? 15-ish. Mm, About 15 years, hmm. and it's actually never been exhibited. So there's some exciting things happening for the collection as well and bringing these things to life and to light from the vault where, you know, it's again creating these frameworks is allowing us to show some of these works where maybe they weren't fitting into other exhibition contexts that we've had previously. Well, it gives a way of editing too, considering mm -hmm. the sheer volume of a collection and how few works can be shown, right, in any given context. Right, right. But I think it's interesting how you're also, as I was mentioning to you before the show, sort of bringing works out of context where I might have seen one in a building on its own. Suddenly I'm seeing it in conversation with other works and, and just sort of recontextualizing for the viewer, for the student who might just sort of see it on their everyday walking past a hall and just sort of actually stop and consider the work maybe. Yeah, as, mu as important as I think it is to have, uh, you know, as much as a collection as we can out there in the world and exposing people to it, contextualizing it changes it completely. And we have a number of curated 
uh, installations around the campus, but much of much of what's out there is they're as you said they're they're one offs and and they're seen in a specific context of a building or a hallway or an office, whereas here we're we're trying to you know, build a, a dialogue I guess between works. So it, I, can, I can understand how that changes the experience. Sure. And then the other opportunity it offered was to view an artist's work within these different frameworks. Because I think of someone like Janet Werner, where she has one work within the Utopias, but then a second one within Figuration, if I'm not mistaken. And I thought how it was interesting how vastly different, at least to my eye, those two works were. I mean, just aesthetically and then conceptually. So I'm just wondering if you can talk about a bit, maybe her work, but also just how within different contexts the conversation around a work can change. With Janet's work, uh, we have several pieces of hers in the collection, and the two that are found in the exhibition are actually recent acquisitions that haven't been shown yet. So we're really excited to, first of all, have them up. But I think with her work, she's an alumni of the U of S. That's another engaging point of bringing her work out into the collection. Uh, Sorry, alumni faculty. But I think with Janet's work, again, the broad areas like figuration and utopias, I think they're all speaking to things that you could find within her work, whether you saw it as a solo exhibition, which we actually had a four-year national tour of Janet's uh, work solo exhibition that just ended in... 2014, I think, 2014. So we've had a lot of opportunity to really engage with her work, and there's so many layers to it that I, I feel like it does fit well within the context we've placed them in in this show. Yeah, Janet's work appears in two under two headings, but so does Lisa Streifler's, mm-hmm. and 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 they have, I think, uh, similar sort of ranges to their practice. Although their uh, Lisa's work is separated by a number of years. Anyway, I, th- I think they're appropriately situated within within each. Uh, context, but they they're talking about completely different things, and that they're both authentic to their practice, but they both fit really well mm-hmm. in those worlds, in each of those worlds. Yeah, like I mean, the the piece in figuration has a lot more to do with this female gaze, and um, appropriation from fashion magazines, and the work in Utopias has this sort of ethereal, otherworldly feeling, like you're sort of looking up from outer space into this domestic space so there's lots of different um contexts and layers to them mm-hmm. we encourage people to go see them in the <laughs> sure. exhibition and as you're talking about too within other exhibitions basically you're trying to have a certain consistency among an artist's work often so i thought it was interesting to sort of see two very different works and they work within an exhibition but you know and they don't have to be seen in the same gallery even though they're the same part of an exhibition so right i right. think with janet's work too typically people really love to talk about the act of painting so it's, it's interesting to put her pieces into context that don't even really address that they're paintings. Well, I think that's certainly a consistent thread, but but Mm -hmm. so is the idea of self and the disruption Mm -hmm. of self. And somehow it is important for you to see probably both work, for people to see both works, because they are really different in nature, but there is central to both of them. There is some idea of identity or, and disruption of identity and isolation of identity and and those each of those paintings 
accentuate, accentuate very different sort of perspectives of self and, and, and those kinds of personal disruptions. Or well, and to talk about her work in the utopias, or just to talk about that space more generally, I thought it was interesting how you're framing even that utopic discussion in terms of a response to dystopias rather than necessarily just like a view of a perfect world, so to speak, and how it allowed for works such as Indigenous works that were really addressing current issues and current challenges and like a broader discussion than maybe I've seen otherwise. Yeah, I think very much a part of uh, our, Leonardo's conversation about around utopias was about pushing against a utopic world and mm-hmm. not necessarily a, a dystopic world, but I think a re- reaction or uh, presenting possibilities and, and alternatives to those utopian imaginations yeah, and uh, and trying to choose a work that wasn't just an outright dismissal uh, but but offered some alternative I think to uh, that utopian sort of theme yeah the, sort of through their through the resistance that's presented in the works it's offering these I- ideals of a better world and you might have to sort of dig to see that but I, I think that most of the work does have a specific social or political agenda that it's presenting that then allows you to reimagine or think of how that might improve our society or you know the other levels that it, they speak to. And again, within that context of a number of works within that Kenderdine is that one's place, do you have a, a number of different takes and views on this world, which allows for that sort of multivocal discussion rather than sort of one view, which sort of allowing those conversations to uh, happen between the pieces as a, rather than through very much, there was exhibition text, but you're mostly leaving it for the pieces to sort of, you know, have that conversation, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, yeah, again, when we talk about utopias and within the framework of this revisit interpreting the collections, we try to keep the text panels concise and relatively brief so that people can make those interpretations and connections on their own. But then again, it's offered through other methods such as film and the reading room. So there's always different ways to, for audiences to also interpret the collection. It's not just as curators, our interpretation, we're trying to open it so that the public and viewers have their own interpretation too. You know, I agree. I I think in, in our conversations, it was very much about opening things up and, and more about asking questions and providing answers and trying yeah. to allow uh, enough access points that there were, well, there are many, many, many interpretations that are available, to, you know, for people mm-hmm. to impose or, or think about, mm-hmm. I guess, in, in relation to the range of works that, that we try to include. Then moving from utopias to more of that the everyday, again, this was another space of talking about, as you mentioned in the text panel, the, the two different interpretations. One talking about bringing ideas of the everyday, of the unseen world to light, and another of making works from everyday objects. And mm-hmm. I wonder if you might be able to just talk sort of broadly about those approaches or the works in that space. Or Yeah, I, I don't think that's anything new either. Yeah. I mean, it, it can, and again, it's very broad and open. Um, but there were, I, I think there is a, a trend toward more experiential kinds of art, art experiences so that the, the viewer is implicated in, in some way um, and, and may in fact have an impact on, on the outcome of the work or, right. or alter the work uh, through their participation. So I think we don't really have that sort of work in the, in the collection, but I think we're, we're trying to open that door. Um, 
but it also includes things like uh, you know uh, more traditional documentary photography of you know street photography that sort right. of thing that's uh, I think documenting and celebrating the everyday. It's interesting too to talk about the difference between sort of like a collection collection exhibit and more of a curated exhibit. I wonder if you might speak to even just broadly, but for our listeners, I think it's interesting to sort of hear how how different the process is on your end when you're talking about p- picking purely made works. And so then you're creating a conversation out of works that have been pre-made rather than maybe an exhibition where you might have a bit more of an input with an artist or conversation beforehand. I think, you know, with a, say a solo exhibition with a contemporary artist, there are lots of conversations that go on through the development of an exhibition. But ultimately, from my perspective as a curator, my job is to facilitate their ability to present their work in the best possible light, their best work in the best possible light. That doesn't mean that, you know, we might not talk about my opinion or, you know, uh, that I think this work isn't strong or I think this should maybe go here. But ultimately, in a, in a solo situation, I think uh, it's a curator's role in, in large part to allow them to be their best. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a, in a, in a collection-based exhibition, work that already exists, with living or dead artists, I think um, the focus is much more around the concept. Mm-hmm. There are certainly formal issues, mm-hmm. um, although I don't think they, they played a big role in this uh, exhibition particularly, mm-hmm. and they're always a consideration, but I think Lee and I most, uh, most frequently talked about the, the, the concept and con- concepts involved and trying to, again, build the opportunity for conversations between existing works. We want to break some of the rules instead of follow them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree. I think that with, um, say, this particular collection exhibition, a lot of it was about research and trying to provide context and shape this exhibition for the public to have these different ideologies and how they can then understand the work within that framework. These pieces could also exist within many other frameworks, but that's our job as curators to build a framework for them to see and to uh, either connect with or object to, but to at least uh, provide the work this house to sit in. Well, I think the last space that we haven't talked about is the suprematism exhibition. That's another one of those sort of more aesthetic or formal themes that sort of resonates through the exhibition. And I'm, I guess I would just ask, you know, was, was there certain considerations in how that was put together or the pieces that were included? Um, I think it was chosen as a, a sub area or a, an important area uh, in the exhibition, partly because of its impact here locally and, and at the university and within the art school. It's not a direct translation from Melovich's suprematist uh, doctrine, but there are certainly significant influences and those influences that, that impact a lot of students here and a few faculty have resulted in uh, acquiring a lot of works in that genre. So I think that was, that was the initial uh, concept for including that as, a, as an area. Yeah, it's kind of this little sub-history that a lot of people are really familiar with Kazimir Malevich and the Black Square, but we wanted to look at the artists in our within our collection that were also influenced by that and thinking about it and either responding to or directly referencing Malevich. So, I mean, it was interesting once we started with that con- that theory or concept how many works there really were. And again, it didn't come unfounded, like you mentioned the 
the lineage within the university itself. But it's a really interesting area. I really encourage people to go and explore the whole exhibition, but I think this area in particular has some really interesting pieces and a little bit unexpected, I think, of works that are in our collection. I don't know if people know some of the pieces that we have. So, And then again, bringing sort of, even though this is a collection of international works, bringing that local focus in some of the ways that we're viewing it again. So. Well, I think that there's probably one really important, well, two, two really important pieces in that section that are responses to that history that I think give that area a certain weight and breadth. Therese Politanko's one artist. Yep, yep. Therese Politanko and, and Brigitte Radecki is another one that both respond uh, um, quite directly to, to that whole movement, which is interesting. Uh, I feel in the context of all of this work we have mm-hmm. that follows a, a more, I don't know, a more direct kind of uh, lineage, I, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, with Malevich's Thinking. Well, it was another, that's another really great point of what we were looking at on the whole with this exhibition is, and Kent kind of mentioned this earlier, but we weren't just looking to only celebrate these artists or these movements. We were trying to say, okay, so what was the push and pull for, against, uh, who is included, who is excluded, who came after, who's responding to, you know, these are all things we were thinking about. and. Within that, we still managed to pare it down to a pretty minimalist hanging, and so that was a, that was the major tricky balance in the end. I think is seeing these larger concepts and representing all of the things I just mentioned, but having it still feel clean and minimal within the space. Sure, I mean, there's just so many works that you could add in at some point if you. I if mean, you we could have hung salon style, but. <laughs> But I think, as Leah just said, and, and maybe that's been lost in uh, part of our conversation, is that that was, that was sort of central to this whole concept, was to look at reactions to, like, to avoid a conventional, historical contextualization of these works, to, to disrupt that in some way, or to look at um, how history has, how artists through history have reacted to those important movements, not just the movements themselves, but those those important reactions which have become important movements unto themselves. Yeah, it was always meant to be nonlinear. And I, I I think it does come across as a nonlinear exhibition. There might be certain areas that feel a little bit more chronological, but that was never really the intention. Sometimes it just fell that way a little bit more in certain parts of the show but within subjects such as the figuration there is quite a a span of years of the work but yeah that is interesting to talk then too just not just about sort of framing these concepts as you know this is how it was but looking at how as as artists always do reacting to those major themes and and again bringing a bit of that local reaction to some of that too and even within the dialogue as being co-curators i mean there was a lot of dialogue and push and pull the works maybe I wanted to include and Ken didn't feel the same so I think like the whole process was actually really pretty interesting in its in its interpreting interpretation mm. no it's an interesting way to work it's nice to have a, a sounding board and and to go through and flesh out ideas and uh, have arguments and lose arm wrestles and uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, and then to balance, so to balance both your opinions, but then to balance this idea of the collection and the larger university mm-hmm. context, and, and then what works have been seen and haven't been seen, how to include a Rauschenberg that hasn't been seen before, and, mm-hmm. 
right? A lot of things come together in, in that space. And this exhibition's up for a while, if I'm not mistaken. It's up until the end of April, April 29th, reception on March 18th. So we'd welcome everyone out to, to come see the exhibitions and uh, come celebrate with us. The reception is at 8 p.m. and we're going to be hosting it primarily in the lower college gallery. Although, of course, we want everybody to go see all three spaces that the exhibition exists in. Well, thank you guys both for coming on the show. Uh, again, this is at, going to be taking place at the College of Canadine Galleries. Thank Sorry. you. Yes, thanks very much for having us. Again, my name is Michael Peterson, and you've been listening to Unframed, conversations about the arts on CFCR 90.5 FM. A reminder, you can find us on social media. We're Unframed Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And again, you can always listen to this episode again on our podcast on iTunes. Thank you, and have a good evening.